Welcome to this week's episode of Business Wise. This is a podcast series for entrepreneurs interested in expanding through learning and applying the management system discovered and developed by humanitarian, philosopher, and administrator, Mr. L. Ron Hubbard. All right, so this is the 11th episode we are doing on the subject of the administrative scale of importances, or Mr. L. Ron Hubbard's famous admin scale, as it is commonly referred to. Each episode of this series is intended to be able to stand on its own. So if this is your first experience listening to Business Wise, go ahead and listen in today because uh, this is going to be fine for you. But I do advise going back to the beginning of this series and listening to them all in sequence. So this would have been, we would have started this 11 episodes ago. I think the title was just The Admin Scale. That was part one. So this is part 11. Lordy. Okay. Uh, anyway, if you go through it again, going from the beginning, you'll get, of course, more out of this in today's episode, and you'll also get a lot better understanding of the admin scale as a whole. Uh, but the admin scale is so embraceive, it is impossible to do this subject uh, any kind of justice with just one or two episodes. As a matter of fact, this is one of the first issues I observe in being asked to review innumerable admin scales that uh, we get sent in from our members, you know, asking for our, uh, critique, I guess you could say of, um, you know, what they've written. But it doesn't seem very clear to the individuals writing the admin scale in some cases that this is sca this scale is a scale. It's not a sheet of paper with writing on it. I mean, one can certainly outline an admin scale for an activity on a few sheets of paper. But that's a little bit like taking a tape measure and setting it down on a table and saying, there's my house. You see, you use your admin scale to align your actions in building your house, your company, your life. Any of the various components of the admin scale could take half a drawer, writing a program, executing a program. Generally, you have a folder for that. You put your folder in there, uh, the various different targets that are outlined on the program. Uh, you are writing uh, compliances to, even if it's just a compliance to yourself from yourself, you know, yes, I got that program done. Here is the evidence of that target done, or here is the, uh, the product of that program being executed. It's a very three-dimensional thing. It's not a two-dimensional thing. And it's, well, you could say it's even four-dimensional because it, it takes place over time. So you use your admin scale to align your actions in building your house, your company, or your life. It's an alignment tool. It's to take out all the aberrations. Uh, what are aberrations? It's a derangement from a straight line. That's what aberration basically means. So when you do an admin scale properly, your activities are lined up, and therefore you're getting maximal impact from your actions, maximal efficiency and uh, achievement towards your goals. All right? Goals, of course, are at the top of the admin scale. But the components of each level of the scale are a subject in themselves. And each of those levels involve their own know-how and careful study so that those levels or subjects can be correctly used. This is why we've avoided formally discussing the admin scale for the first few years of episodes of BusinessWise, even though we have been discussing it really the whole time, if you think about it, because that the subject of the admin scale is that embraceive. So even our early episodes, factually, we're talking about the admin scale. We just never really brought it up. But due to popular demand, you know, please cover the admin scale. We are now covering the admin scale 
We're tackling this step by step and level by level. And uh, well, you, the listeners, seem to be digging it because we shot up to over 3,000 subscribers in a hurry. So, all right, here we go with our second episode on the fifth level of the scale, which is programs. Now, there's a ton to know about programming. Mr. Hubbard studied this in detail and wrote a tremendous amount on this subject. Nowhere in the work of any other author will you find this much information and precision as L. Ron Hubbard's research into the subject of programs dating from the 1950s, but with focused research and development in and around January of 1969. So if you want to do further study on this, you definitely should. Uh, there's no way we could cover all of the know-how of programming. We're, we're going to cover as much as we can over a handful of episodes, but uh, we could literally devote a dozen episodes to programming. And it's, um, it's a little bit tricky for us to figure out what are the highlights, the parts that we're going to teach you in this series. But um, what we're going to cover now is from an article from the 12th of September, 1959. So it's a pretty early one and simply called Programming. And this is just a beautiful and basic reference on the subject in which Mr. Hubbard expresses 12 maxims of programming. Now, in the title of this episode, I referred to rules. As I was concerned, not everybody knows what a maxim is. So before we proceed, let's define that word. So a maxim is defined as an expression of a general truth or principle. So then, you know, it, the example it gives is the maxims of, and then it names a philosopher here I've never heard of, La Rochefoucauld, whatever. Anyway, that's the name of the philosopher. Never heard of the guy. All right, number two, a second definition here, a principle or rule of conduct. So that's why we use the word rule. You could say these are rules, but maxim such a beautiful word. Uh, the derivation... It comes from a late Middle English word, from French maxime, from medieval Latin maxima, largest or most important. So when we're talking about a maxim, we're talking about an important principle, rule, or fundamental. And Mr. Hubbard outlines 12 of them when it comes to programming. Now, he also uses a word here that we've defined before in business-wise, but which we will define here for first-time listeners, and that's the word dynamics. Now, a dynamic is a surge of energy within a person which is seeking to promote the survival of something. So when you are driven to get in shape, when you're driven to uh, improve your nutrition, if you're driven to, that's called a first dynamic urge. You're, you're being, you know, you're motivated by a, a thrust to survive of self. Now, but you also have other urges to survive, other dynamics. For instance, you will sometimes make great sacrifices on your first dynamic for what's called your second dynamic, which is a sex or family dynamic. You know, you, we've all known uh, individuals who make great sacrifices uh, for their family. They have a very strong second dynamic or third dynamic would be the dynamic of groups. The urge to survive as and for a group and, of course, uh, we also know people who have a very strong third dynamic drive. We also know people who have a very little of a third dynamic drive. You're, you're hermits. You're people who are very withdrawn and don't like to associate with others. You might say their third dynamic is not very strong. 
And uh, these urges to survive vary in strength from individual to individual. They're also monitored by uh, a person's personal, I guess you could say, aberrations. Uh, sometimes it's a little awkward or uh, odd. The person's thrust to survive on the second dynamic, for instance, can become very aberrated and destructive to uh, their survival in actual fact. This goes for any dynamic. So you have a dynamic that is going in a sane survival manner, and you can also have a dy dynamic become deranged and operate in a destructive manner. And there are ways to cope and deal with that. We're not covering that in today's episode. I just want you to understand that there are dynamics, and the dynamics also include the fourth dynamic, which is mankind, and the, and the fifth dynamic, which would be all living things, all things that are alive. And the sixth dynamic would be uh, the physical universe, you know, the, the inanimate objects, matter, energy, space, and time. Uh, you see people with a very strong sixth dynamic. They love to build things. They love to fix things. They love to work with uh, matter, energy, space, and time. And then you also have a seventh dynamic, which is a spiritual dynamic. Uh, and, of course, we all know people who are very spiritual. You would say they have a very strong Seventh dynamic, but we're all, to a greater or lesser degree, I guess you could say spiritual. And then you've got uh, the eighth dynamic, which of course is the allness of all, or the infinity dynamic, or the God dynamic, uh, depending upon your faith and understanding of that dynamic. It certainly exists. You see people strongly motivated by that dynamic as well. Anyway, so uh, he does use the, that term in this article, so I want to make sure you have that clearly. So let's get on with it. Uh, the article, again, dated 12 September 1959, entitled Programming. We're going to pick this up well into the article here. He says, quote, programming is important enough to pay a lot of attention to. And there's a lot of gen about it. Now, we forgot to define gen, but gen is short for genuine information, genuine data. So gen just means good solid information that you can use, okay? So he says, uh, and there's a lot of gen about it, and the gen all adds up to no matter how many programs you have, each one consists of certain parts. And if you don't assemble those parts and run the program in an orderly fashion, then it just won't spark off. These are some of the principles about programs. So he goes into them. Oh, I love the way he says this. If you don't know these facts of life, here they are. So he's referring to these maxims also as facts of life. Okay, Dad, so give me the facts of life. All right, here we go. Maxim one. Any idea, no matter if badly executed, is better than no idea at all. Maxim one. Ain't that the truth? Look, you're sitting there in your business. You don't know what the heck is going on. Things aren't sparking off the way they should, uh, or maybe they are going along okay, but you want it to go better. You want it to be better organized. You want it to be more efficient. You want it to be more, uh, less stressful. All right, get an idea. A any idea, even if it's badly executed, you know, oh, let's start, uh, let's do a referral program and see if we can get some of the customers to this mill shop, our, our cabinet shop here to start referring us other people. That's an idea. You know, that would, that would probably be helpful. Uh, so Joe, do you know anybody, who, which of our customers do you think we could approach that would uh, give us, you know, a lead to another 
potential customer, you know, that's not a bad idea. It's a pretty good idea. But it's certainly, whether it's a bad idea or a good idea, it's better than no idea. And even if it's done poorly and Joe doesn't have a clue what he's doing and he just hands out clumsily a card or, you know, stumbles around trying to talk to people, better than nothing. Better than no idea at all. So be careful about being critical about ideas because any idea, no matter if badly executed, is better than no idea at all. That's maximum one. Maxim two, a program to be effective must be executed. Wow. That's revelatory. I'm being a bit sarcastic, but you know, you wouldn't think this would have to be stated as a maxim, but of course it does. And, and how many undone programs have I seen? In my career, with, I even have a few of my own, you know, not to mention that I see that all the time in uh, members' businesses. They've, you know, they, they decide they're going to engage in a program. They finally sit down, put all the work together to write a program and then don't do it. So the program isn't going to do you any good unless you actually execute the program. You got to do the program. That's maximum two. Okay. Maximum three, a program put into action requires Guidance. Now, that's really important. <laughs> you know, that's your third maxim. And again, you wouldn't think necessarily it would have to be stated, but it does. When you write a program, make sure you assign it to someone to guide it. Uh, Mr. Hubbard's going to go into this in more detail uh, later on in the maxims. But that's your number one way of making sure it's going to fail is you don't give it to someone to guide it. Uh, I'm very guilty of this personally because I will write more programs than I can possibly guide. But um, nonetheless, I will do my best to guide them. Uh, and I go back to maximum one, any idea, no matter if badly executed is better than no idea at all. That's kind of how I justify it. But I generally will, I have many, many programs that um, not to give myself as any kind of tower of virtue. I'm far from that. But all I'm saying is I'm handy at writing programs. And a lot of times uh, I don't give them the guidance that they need because I have so many of them. But uh, uh, again, fall back on maximum one. We're getting something done anyway. And some of the programs are being wholeheartedly executed. And of course, when those programs are the ones we make the best progress with. All right. That's maximum three. Maximum four. A program running without guidance will fail and is better left undone. If you haven't got the time to guide it, don't do it. Put more steam behind existing programs because it will flop. Okay, so there you go. If you don't have any time to guide it at all, or you can't assign it to someone to guide it, then don't do it. Leave the program alone. Guy uh, runs a cabinet shop. And uh, he wants to expand. And for the most part, he subcontracts with other contractors and uh, decides, you know what? Uh, I don't want to be the effect of these contractors. I want to be able to get my own work. Why don't we promote directly to the consumer instead of we're just going to promote uh, to contractors? Let's promote to homeowners and uh, let them know that we do this incredible cabinet work and... Uh, you know, let's write up a program for this. And next thing you know, they got a program, but they uh, they assigned it to the same salesperson who is also pitching the contractors. 
and he doesn't really have the time to do it, and he doesn't really guide it. And you come around going, well, what about these homeowners? Like, how come you're not promoting there? And it's like, boss, you know, I'm trying, you know, I'm going to get to it or whatever. But, you know, and they get all jacked because they're being taken off their constructive, productive actions because you've assigned a new program, but you haven't really assigned anyone uh, who can really run it because the guy's got his hands full. So that program isn't going to end up disrupting your regular, consistent production flow to business to business, to the contractors. And this uh, this residential program will end up being a distraction and might even crash your production altogether. So here you, you did this, you wrote this program to create expansion and instead it created a distraction. Better to leave it undone. Okay, maximum five. Any program requires some finance. Get the finance into sight before you start to fire or have a very solid guarantee that the program will produce finance before you execute it. Yes, man. If you're going to launch a program, make sure you got the bread to get it executed or you can be darn sure if it's success and uh, you're pretty confident or you're very confident that the finance will come in very quickly. I have a member who's launching a new business uh, up in Chicago, and uh, he's making quite a significant investment, but we also have tremendous confidence in the product that he's selling, that it's going to sell. We've done enough surveys. We know what people need and want, that uh, he's extremely confident that he's going to be able to make it work. So that is, uh, he could proceed with that program, and he's actually doing an excellent job with it. And that program is coming together, but um, only was able to execute it because he had maximum five in view. He knows he's going to make money. He knows how to make that thing make money. So uh, he's confident. It's in view. Maximum five is being served. Maximum six. A program requires attention from somebody. An untended program that is everybody's child will become a juvenile delinquent. Again, this comes back to maximum three a little bit, doesn't it? Because uh, a program requires guidance. So if you don't have a specific person assigned to be responsible for that program, it becomes sort of everybody's program, and it's it's a yoke around everyone's neck. Trust me, you don't want to go that way. And it, it, this beautiful program that you wrote that's going to solve all these problems ends up becoming a tremendous burden and distraction to everybody. Why? Because you didn't. Give it to somebody. It requires attention from somebody. Okay. Or it'll become a juvenile delinquent, you know, running wild through the place, destroying everything. All right. Maxim seven. The best program is the one that will reach the greatest number of dynamics and will do the greatest good on the greatest number of dynamics, and there you go. This maxim is a very good rule to apply to life and livingness in general, but certainly with the program. Always seek to take actions that are going to benefit the greatest good for the greatest number of dynamics. If they're only going to serve you and they're not going to serve your customers and not going to serve your employees, that program is going to fail. If it's only going to serve the customer and it's not going to serve your company, that program is probably going to fail. You got to find a program that where uh, what's commonly referred to as a win-win, where every dynamic, as much as possible, is going to succeed. You know, if you're going to 
create a program that when executed somehow damages the flora and fauna in the community and, you know, wipes out a park and people don't have the, uh, no longer have the pleasure of uh, wildlife or uh, nature around them. you know, and that's going to damage the community in some way, then maybe you shouldn't do it. Find a program that enhances the greatest survival for the most dynamics. All right. Maxim eight programs must support themselves financially. Yeah. Look, don't get into this habit of writing programs that are going to take, you know, tens of thousands of dollars of investment, write programs, adjust your programs so that they fund themselves. It's not that hard to do. Any program should involve some exchange with somebody. So, you know, back in our, actually, you know, this this uh, cabinet shop that is seeking to uh, increase its size by starting to serve the homeowner, it's actually a great idea. And, uh, you know, if you've got a couple of uh, good prospects in view, you know, you know, you have a couple of ideas of how you're going to close your first customers. And you uh, because you know you have this finance in view, you're able to hire an individual salesperson instead of giving it to your regular sales guy who's already working with the contractors. Let's use this idea of it financing itself to bring on board another salesperson who will now be given this program and be able to run with it. And we have pretty good confidence that it's going to work. We've done our surveys. We know there's a need. Uh, we've established that it's not going to cut across uh, our work with the contractors. Make sure you don't, you know, you launch a program that's going to, you know, bite the hand that feeds you. You know, you don't want all the contractors that have been giving you work for years suddenly to see you as competition. That's going to, that's a dumb move. We'll get into that in a bit, uh, in a further maxim, but you get the idea, but you know, all right, we found a guy and he's now going to uh, run this program and we know that all he has to do is sell one job uh, or maybe two jobs and we're, we're golden. You know, the program will finance itself. That's a pretty sound program because you're applying that maxim. Okay. Maxim nine. Programs must accumulate interest and bring in other assistance by the virtue of of the program interest alone, or they will never grow. Wow, that's for sure. I have some experience with that. You know, you got a great idea. Everybody's going to love this idea. And so you launch this program uh, where, you know, free movies for everybody or whatever. I don't know. I'm, I'm making that up. But you get the idea. All of a sudden, it's a flop. You know, people just aren't interested in that. I'm going to sit at home and... Uh, and watch it on Netflix, you know. Why would I go, uh, you know, to this, we have this promotional idea to have free movies. And, uh, you know, you're pushing it through. You're pushing it through. This will bring people into the shop. This will, you know, maybe we have a rec center or something like that. And we're trying to get people to come in and uh, use our center to work out or play sports or whatever they're doing. Uh, rec, short for recreation, recreation center. And so let's do a movie night. Nobody's interested. 
Uh, the people, the personnel we're hiring to run the movie night, they want to stay home. Uh, the customers want to stay home. No one's interested in movie night. I hope that's not true because I think movie night sounds like a great idea and everybody could have fun by associating with another instead of sitting on their can in a living room. But nonetheless, it could be a loser of an idea with just an accumulating interest. So that program is going to fail. All right. Maxim 10. A program is a bad program if it detracts from programs which are already proving successful or distracts staff, people, or associates from work they are already doing that is adding up to successful execution of other programs. Okay, we've touched on this a couple of times already, but uh, this example of the cabinet shop that is now going to promote to homeowners and uh, irritate or bug the main contributors to the finance of the company, the contractors are seeing that now as competition. Like, why are we giving work to these guys when they've become our competition? So now you've, you've violated Maxim 10. You've started a new program and you didn't foresee that it would uh, detract from another program that you're already running, which is a program where you're going business to business. Something to always take into consideration when you're shifting from business to business to uh, end user or uh, directly to the uh, consumer. Make sure you're not going to cut across or interfere with your business-to-business program. Okay, Maxim 11. Never spend more on a program than the income from one person signing up can repay. So, all right, we went over that a little bit earlier when we were talking about the finance. We're hiring a new salesman. All he's got to do is sell one job and he'll have paid for himself for that month, say. Right? That's pretty safe. Uh, He will cover his expenses with one or two sales in a month. Okay, we can launch this program. Maxim 12. Never permit a new program to inhibit the success of a routine one or injure its income. Note the number of times he's emphasized this. Maxim 12, he's continuing to alert you that do not use a program, a brand new program, that is now going to interfere with other programs. That program's not going to get executed. It'll become a juvenile delinquent. Your guys are busy. Whether you wrote a program for them or not, they're actually executing a program. Do you understand that? Your routine actions that you do that is making your business go, that in effect is actually a program. Whether you officially wrote it or not, it's like, okay, muster up the salespeople, get them to assign quotas, drill them for half an hour, get them on the phones. No, I never wrote that as a program. It's just common sense. We got to get these salespeople into production. That's for sure. But you could have written it as a program. You actually, it is a program. And now you're going to launch this new program that's now going to take these salespeople away from their routine actions, which is program X, let's say, and give them now program Y. Be aware that they're actually already executing a program. Do you see that? Even though you never formally wrote it, it is a program. So be aware of that before you give them a new program. Beautiful, bright idea that you just dreamed up one night, in the sh- you know, as you were uh, heading home from work and uh, or in the morning when you were in the shower. Oh, I got a great idea for a program. Um, first of all, don't forget maximum one. Any idea, no matter if badly executed, is better than no idea at all. Keep coming up with ideas, but use the rest of these maxims to make sure you are properly programming the activity. Okay? All right. Well, that wraps up. Uh, this second episode on the subject of programs. Going to try to wrap this up in one more episode. It might take two. Programming is uh, 
Yeah, there really is a lot to know about it, as I mentioned earlier. So uh, study it well. Try to do your own research on it. It is uh, the difference maker probably between dreams and plans and goals being realized or not. How well can you program them? How well can you use these 12 maxims? All right. Okay, so let us know how you're doing with this series on the admin scale with this series on programming. I've been hearing from some of the members actually working on their admin scale as we move through the series. I think that's a great idea. Uh, I'd love to see them. If you want to send them to us to look them over, that'd be uh, our pleasure. Write us at info at wiseeastus.org. Leave us your comments. Give us a like if you liked, if you like what you're learning. Uh, that's very encouraging for us. Uh, we enjoy uh, reading your feedback and uh, try to answer them all on the comments. We certainly will answer your emails, that I promise. All right, and uh, that wraps it up. Thank you very much for listening. We'll talk again next week.